and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own businesses, and this podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. Now, if you were listening to the podcast last week, you would have heard us mention the fact that we appeared in The Times back on the uh, 7th of January and still there online. And to be fair, we may well bleat on about it for the remainder of the year, just because it's a big deal to us, isn't it, Simon? No, no. Uh, I didn't really think about it. (laughs) And what gave us a bit of inspiration for this week's podcast is that when the article was written, particularly online, obviously there are a number of comments below. And the article itself, just as a quick reminder, was called, Should You Invest in Buy to Let in 2022? Obviously, Simon and I have views on that. And the article itself talks about the things you should be thinking about, the areas you should be thinking about when investing. Of course, there were some comments beneath said article, uh, some of which... That was the first mistake. Don't read the comments. (laughs) (laughs) We went down in the comments. And they are mostly fine and and good. However, we, we've pulled up one. The first one, I believe, in fact, from someone called Kublai Khan. I'm sure that's not a real name, but thank you for engaging with the post. But says, if you're not already committed, you'd be mad to start being a landlord now. I'd put your resources elsewhere and let others pay for the continuing onslaught of regulatory and legislative costs that being a landlord is likely to entail. Now, We thought it'd be good to talk around this and get our views on it. So I'm going to kick this straight over to Mr. Pitha. And Simon, so we've talked about investing in 2022. Are we mad? Are we completely stark raving mad? Well, speaking personally, yes, totally. (laughs) I'm not sure that's got anything to do with my investment plans, though. But, But yeah, how about you? Yeah, I'm with you. We suffer the same illness. <laughs> so we're both mad because Simon most definitely is looking to invest this year. In fact, if he doesn't, he'll be brought down by all of us because he's not achieved his goals, which we are going to hold him to. But that aside, there are a number of issues that actually Kublai Khan raises there. The first one being around interest rate relief. Simon, interest rate relief has been factored in. What are your thoughts around this when you're thinking about investing? You're absolutely right. It, this is not something that's new. This is the, the the Section 24 changes that were introduced five plus years ago and have been phased in over the last four or five years. They were in full effect in the last tax year, so the one that, that finished in April 21. So we are, are definitely into the, the full effects of this change and have been for a while. And anyone investing in property should have been doing so with knowledge that this was coming and exactly what it meant for them and their situation. And, and that should be the case for anyone investing in the last few years. So strangely enough, it's not changing my plans right now because I've been aware of it and it's fine. Well, I say it's fine. It's obviously not ideal. I, I get that it's a bit of a strange approach to tax in so much as property investors who invest in their personal names are effectively taxed on, well, I was going to say income, but you do get to take off repairs and maintenance and and some of the other sort of allowable expenses. But you cannot take off finance costs. So that's mortgage interest most of the time. But there are other finance costs are covered as well. And this means that you effectively pay tax on the mortgage interest that you pay. If you're a basic rate taxpayer, then you sort of don't 
because you later get to get a, a sort of claim back against the mortgage interest of 20%, which of course balances out the 20% basic rate tax. But if you're one of the higher rate payers, 40, 45%, et cetera, then of course there's a gap between the 20% you can reclaim and the, the tax you're paying at 40, 45%. Hence, you're, you're paying tax on income rather than on profit, which is, is sort of the, the sort of general complaint about this being illogical yeah. and very unusual. And, and I see that. Yeah. But when you know about it and you factored it in, you put it in your calculations, then you can still run a successful buy-to-let investment with this in place in a personal name. Yeah. And of course, the sort of other approach is to not buy in personal names and to, to buy through a limited company, which has been your chosen approach, isn't it, Stuart? Yeah. And uh, for the record, let's we're all completely agreed. The law itself here d- just makes no sense. In no other business would you be taxed on money that you're paying out. It's, it's someone else said, you, you're, you're being taxed on turnover, but if your mortgage is £500, you're being taxed for money that's going out the window. So that it makes no sense to any of us why in business land, it doesn't happen if you rent an office, it doesn't happen for other overheads. So why the personal buy-to-let investor has to pay that is beyond us. However, that's how it is. If the changes come in and nothing further to say really than, than what Simon said is that you have to factor these calculations into your models. You know, when you're looking at the rental property, as Simon said, my approach was to move into a limited company, but purely because I knew that I would be buying multiple properties. Again, you know, we, we're not advisors on how people should approach what they do. And I can't say if that's the right approach for the next person, but that's why I speak with accountants about what, what is the best route given the number of properties and so on. I think we kind of covered that off. It's basically, you're not going to get relief for your mortgage. So you have to factor that in. But once you factored it in, you know what the the final profit's going to be from your property. And if you don't like it, you can look at the alternative limited company route. Yep, exactly. Yes, it's changing the landscape, but it changed the landscape a little while ago. And it can all still work. So on to the next sort of issue that's raised, and that was around legislative costs. So this is coping with and dealing with the expenses from all of the legal changes that are going on and compliance requirements. So this would cover things like, particularly in HMOs, licensing requirements and requirements for extra fire protection and in some cases, certain room sizes, having shared space, certain cooking facilities, even for, for some HMO licenses in some areas. But on a wider buy-to-let field, it could also cover things that are coming in around environmental standards and EPC requirements, perhaps pushing EPC requirements up to a C from their current level, although obviously they've already been pushed up to a, a minimum for rental properties of E. So I think that's kind of where they're talking or where they're coming from with this. Do you think I've missed something, Stuart? And what do you think of these these costs that will will hit landlords? Well, as you were talking, I know you've covered all the key ones off for me, and I was just sitting there thinking, yep, I absolutely detest all of these. However, a lot of them are really important. For me, fire risk assessment's really important to know that my property is covered in the event of a fire. It's one of the biggest costs we have, fire risk assessments, and it's ongoing the more properties we have. 
HMO licensing, those costs. Funny enough, I was looking at some paperwork this morning, which showed me that the HMO license cost for one of my properties has more than doubled in the last five years. So those costs are very real. And of course, I don't like paying all of those costs. But once again, at the risk of sounding repetitive, these get factored into the money we make. I mean, the, the truth is, have I always prepared for them? No. But once they've been in once, we can then factor that in. The only other one which I would just sort of draw a circle around is is the EPC, a very important one. In fact, does get mentioned by Carol Lewis in the article uh, in the comments, which is given the timeframes around that, we don't actually know what that looks like for us explicitly in terms of what we have to do when. And you've spoken about the podcast that you want to raise the level of your properties, which I think is a really good and noble thing to do, actually. However, from a business standpoint, I'm not preparing for that just yet. And as regards to investing this year, it wouldn't it wouldn't preclude me from investing into something. No, and I think especially when you're buying, you can choose what you buy. So you know that EPC requirements may well be going up in the future. So don't look at buying a property with a low EPC. Choose something that's already a C or above. Well, I just want to say there, so once again, you've highlighted something which for me is a really important strategy. Where people see obstacles there are opportunities because you might go and look at a property that is a a rating e or the lowest grade there is that may well have not been costed into the asking price and that property is now sat on the market for that very reason however being you that you know this reason you could go in and negotiate on that property so i think and sorry that i've interrupted you there Sam, but i think that's a really important thing for how I like to think about these things is, okay, is it a problem I can solve? And if it's not a problem I can solve, is it something that we still think we can manage within the business I because the property is that desirable to us? So I think it's a, a really good point that you're bringing up around that. Yeah, the next bit that I was going to mention was basically the same, but just using different words, which was to say that if you don't want to be constrained by looking for something that's DPCC, then you go in knowing that you're going to have to do some refurbishment works. And that might actually be part of your investment plan. The fact that you are going to be buying something at a lower price, a lower value, because it needs work, it needs this improvement. And you can go in and do that to push up the EPC and hence gain that increase in value as part of the work you do as part of your investment. Yeah. And we'll touch on this one quickly because it's the 3% uh, stamp duty surcharge that we've got, which it's like death and taxes, isn't it? In fact, it is it taxes, which is that is the game you're playing. So that hasn't stopped me. And that came in probably, well, probably five years ago now, four or five years ago. And I remember the feeling I was just like, oh, this is this is horrible, you know, an extra 3% on whatever we want to buy. But for me personally, there was just this acceptance that that, that is now what you're looking at. You're now looking at an asking price plus you your SDRT plus the 3%. Does it all still look good? Yes, no, proceed or don't proceed based on previous answer. So I just thought that was an easy one to cover off. I don't know if you had anything further to add on the surcharge. Not really. As you say, it's been there a while. Included in your calculations. Make sure your figures still work. Yeah. So the other one, which is I would consider, well, the, the final two actually that, that, that have been raised were around tenant rights and 
landlords taking up homes that could be used for, for residences. So starting with tenant rights, Simon, what are your thoughts around that? So, I mean, it's very important that tenants do have rights. It's very important that they are fairly strong rights. I don't think that landlords should be able to kick tenants out on a whim. The tenants are creating a home in your property. It's where they live. It's their their sort of safe place a lot of the time. And landlords need to respect that. There are, however, some rights that landlords need as well. So, for example, if a tenant is being abusive in a shared house, then the landlord may well need the ability to take action on that. If the tenant is engaging in antisocial behaviour in some other way, again, action does potentially need to be taken or available as an option. And of course, if the tenant isn't paying their rent, then the landlord should rightfully be able to take some kind of action against that. What shape that action should take, I think, is debatable. So whether it should be a Section 8 notice with certain grounds requiring court, etc., or whether it should be a Section 21-style notice, which is more automatic, less likely to require court, and less effort, if you like, to enforce. I'm not so sure. Do you do you have views, Stuart, on, on how that sort of side of things should be handled? I don't have specific views. I think we share as landlords, investors, you know, similar views that I think because there have been so many changes in the last five years around the things that we've just spoken about, in fact, you know, the interest rate relief, legislative costs and tenant rights and the the additional surcharges that it can feel like we're on the side of a one-sided argument in the fact that we are going to get punished whichever way we turn. And my hope is that when we look at it, that it's just a balanced view. And, and, and on tenants' rights, you know, we, we can all, anyone that's invested in property for more than a couple of years will, will have experience of this. And, and mine's very recent in with regards to tenants not wishing to move out. In fact, I've had two that decided they didn't want to move out in, di- in different properties. And of course, it's stressful. But once again, I've spoken with people that know. So letting agents, I've also done my own research and understood what the current processes were. And as frustrating as it can be when you feel like you've done everything morally and ethically right, as long as you're aware of what the law is and the process and follow that, that's what you have to stick to. And once again, it is frustrating as hell to know sometimes I've had to let tenants leave a property with a couple of thousand pounds. You've spoken about it in the past with with even animals being left behind that these things are part of the business. And I think where my mind is heading is that, you, you know, you have to be cognizant of these elements, but ultimately have to accept them. Otherwise, maybe buy to let isn't the investment for the individual, whereas for us, we are fully aware of these things and invest nonetheless. And as frustrating as it is, it is part of it, but I still enjoy doing what we do and hope that the legislation does start taking a bit more of a balanced view for the reasons that you've already mentioned and won't cover off again. But I feel like talking about tenants' rights and legal, I've gone very legal and serious myself all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, I'd just like to to sort of finish that bit off by saying that most tenants are very nice people. They want a home to live in. 
They want to live calmly and paying the rent and looking after the property. And most of the time, that's the kind of tenant who will, who will live in a rental property. And that's brilliant. That There's no problem. It really is only the exception where there are problems. And hence, the law does have to be there to be able to, to deal with those exceptions. But yeah, most of the time, it's all good. Yeah. And so as we draw towards the end of this podcast, the assertion that we are taking homes that could otherwise be bought from purchasers, how does that affect you or not in regards to your investing? I think I've mentioned on previous episodes that sometimes this does enter my, my thought process. And I do sort of look at some properties and think, you know what, I, I could buy this, but maybe, maybe it'd be better to, to leave for a, a home buyer, someone who's actually going to buy their own home. And I'm not sure whether that really makes sense or not, because sort of taking a, a wider view, you need both in the market. Some people will be in a position where they want to buy a home. They're prepared to commit to a location for a fairly long time. They have sufficient savings. They have a stable enough job to satisfy mortgage requirements. And, and they're just in that position. And that's what they want. But then you have other people who are not in that position. Maybe they move around a lot. Maybe they're in temporary work and they want extra flexibility. Maybe they're just moving to that location for six months and then they know they're going again. And they need the option to be able to rent. To, to satisfy their own life requirements at that point. And hence, you, you need to have both in, in the market. Looking historically, currently the private rental sector is a little bit bigger than it has been in the past, but not really because home ownership has shrunk. It's mostly because social housing has shrunk. So where councils used to provide rented accommodation, they now do that a lot less. And instead, the private rented sector now provides more rented accommodation. And home ownership, I mean, it, it's changed a little bit over the last decade or two or whatever, but it's, it's not massively shifted. So, so I, th I think the market is still relatively balanced. And hence, landlords are, are fine to buy properties. And in actual fact, an awful lot of landlord news in the last two, three years has been around landlords getting out of the, the business. Because of all the things we've talked about already, changes to tax, changes to legislation, and people just wanting to, to put their money somewhere simpler. So in actual fact, for us, buying properties now as property investments, we're actually perhaps balancing that out a bit and still helping to provide rented homes for people who, who need them. And there is very much high demand for rented homes, just shown by the fact that rents have been going up a lot recently because of that high demand. So, so, yeah, I think there's space for both in the market. And right now, if anything, the market is asking for more rented homes, not less. Yeah. And I think, you know, basic market forces tell you it's, it's always an issue of, of supply and demand. And there is demand for rental property and therefore there is a need of a supply. And I'm with everyone else. I, I want people to be able to buy properties when they want to be able to buy properties. But I myself went through a period of time where I needed to rent and couldn't buy. And interestingly, someone commented on the comment section of the article that we were on saying exactly that, that actually they needed, that the rent was 
something that they needed to be able to get to where they needed to go. The you know the challenge back could be well because of property prices being so inflated, maybe that's caused the issue. But you know we, we're not political on this podcast, but it, it, and the, the arguments would be around you know how do you solve that problem of of ever increasing property prices? You know it's a, it's a global challenge and one we're not going to solve on this podcast, but equally. You know, my views are getting properties, making them much better and having people stay there right now. Most students, so for students and young professionals, they can't afford to go and buy what they would ideally like a one bedroom flat. And the local area couldn't provide that to them. So, you know, we are providing that service. So I think hopefully in what we can within a you know 20 odd minutes is talk about the things that someone's raised about not renting in 2022 and talked about not 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 investing in 2022 not investing in 2022 of course and you know as with any business you know for me so the question is where would our money be better put and for me it's a business stroke game that i want to play and therefore we'll try and understand as best the rules to play in it and both simon and i have talked about all of those aspects and how we would mitigate them but if someone listens to those things, and obviously that, that person not listening to this podcast because this is a property podcast, but I would imagine they'd hear those things about tenant nightmares and go, no, not for me. I'd rather go and do something else, whether that's investing in startups or crypto or any other investment mechanic that they can think of. But for us, it's a game we want to play. And I think I think that answers the question. We, we'd be really keen to get your views on thoughts around what we've spoken about today and why you would or wouldn't invest in the forthcoming 12 months, please do reach out to us either at, at bizofproperty on Twitter or thebusinessofproperty.com where there's a contact form. And we would love to hear from you and start having that conversation with many of you. And as a final request, if you have taken anything from this conversation, please do leave us a rating or review on your podcast player of choice. Until next week. Yeah.